0: You will turn in your Bibles to the second chapter, the book of Jeremiah, as we continue our study through the Word. You remember last time as we opened up this book, as we began our journey through Jeremiah, that we talked about Jeremiah and who he was he was the son of Hilkiah and he was the son of a priest and many believe that Hilkiah was a high priest and we see that he ruled he he functions as a prophet uh, for protracted period uh, of time. We see that he begins in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. You'll remember that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And so the 13th year of his reign put Josiah at about 21 years old or so. We discovered uh, also that Jeremiah was young at his calling as well. And, and that was the thing that we saw. We saw the calling upon Jeremiah's life there in, in chapter one. And, and you remember how the Lord came to him and, and told him that before I ever even formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I fashioned you and I made you and I have called you forth for for purpose. What what an amazing word that had to have been to a young man and and we see that and god says that he has ordained him a prophet to the nations remember not just to the nation of israel but his scope of ministry is going to be beyond even the nation of israel and you remember jeremiah's immediate response was one of i'm not worthy i, I I'm not able. I'm not capable. We see that Jeremiah looked at his own insufficiencies and, and he didn't see any way in which he was qualified for what God was calling him to. The inadequacy that we feel in the ministry. God is so awesome and mighty and glorious and, and it is difficult oftentimes for us to see past our own limitations. But we see here that where God guides, God what? Provides. Provides. And, and we see that God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called, and and so we see this amazing calling on Jeremiah's life, and and we see the the backpedaling uh, of uh, in Jeremiah, and and we see that that Jeremiah saw that he's young. He's not even 30 years old yet, and you'll remember that 30 years of age was the required age before you could enter into the priesthood. And so being a son of a priest, that would be something that he would be looking forwards to, and and he's not even qualified to be a priest, let alone a prophet to the nations. And you remember that the Lord then meets them and ministers to them and, and tells them, don't say that you're a youth. If I have called you, I will be the one that will strengthen you and, and I will give you the words and don't be afraid of their faces. I am going to be with you to deliver you. And, and then the Lord put forth His hand and touched my mouth. You remember the, the touching of the mouth of the prophet now to speak forth on behalf of God and so he is humbled uh, now and commissions him and and tells him that he is going to to root out and pull down and destroy and throw down and build and to to plant he is to tear down unrighteousness everywhere and he is to sow righteousness and his ministry is going to go forth and you'll remember that the lord then gave him two confirming visions uh, here and the first one was of the uh, almond tree and and that was the the vision that commissioned him that we're going to get to work right away that what the lord has purposed is going to begin and and then the second one was the vision of judgment of the of the boiling pot from the north that then tipped towards uh, uh, Jerusalem and and this now was judgment and and we see now that uh, that this was in reference to the Babylonians and, and to the captivity that they would end up going in, into and and once again we see after the calling we see the strengthening we see now how the lord says to him that you are an iron pillar you're a fortified city you are bronze at walls and you're going to stand against the nation and declare righteousness the nation had drifted away into idolatry and and so Jeremiah was going to be the voice of God to this nation that had gone astray. And, and we see that, that he tells them that kings and priests and princes and, and all of the people are going to be against you. And, but he tells them that, that I am strengthening you and don't be afraid of them. Don't be dismayed. Uh, he says they're going to fight against you. It's not going to be easy, but they're not going to prevail against you. And you remember that those are the same words that Jesus spoke to, to his disciples. He, he told them, in this world you will have what? Tribulation. And, and he says, they hated me, they're going to hate you as well. And he said that a servant isn't greater than his master, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And so he promises us that we will also be victorious in in our battle against the culture, against those that stand in opposition to the righteousness of Christ and the standards of the Word of God. And and yet we know that the Word of God stands forever. And so when we stand on the Word of God, we we are standing on absolute authority of God, and God will prevail. Amen? and so now we see that you know the, that Jeremiah is called and we see that he is strengthened and now we are going to see that he's going to be sent and he is going to now be commissioned to to actually go forth and and i imagine what that had to have been like after the lord has touched his lips and given him a vision of what he is going to do. And of course, so many questions and, and all, but, but so now he has to walk it out. He has to step by step, day by day, the mantle of God's calling upon his shoulders. He, he will learn to trust the Lord and to press into the Lord. And he will face tremendous uh, adversity throughout his life but he will be a faithful prophet. He's called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is known as the the weeping prophet because the the prophecies that God is going to give him are are going to be those of judgment. The the southern kingdom, Judah, is going to go into captivity, and, and so he is going to warn them and warn them and warn them, but they're not going to heed his warning. Imagine how tragic it would be if you knew the bridge was uh, out and you started telling people on the highway to stop. You can't go any further. The bridge is out. If you go, you are going to go off that cliff and you are going to be destroyed. And, and imagine how, how every single car just waves a- at you and won't listen to you. And what you would feel as they go to their destruction. He's telling the nation, the bridge is out. We need to stop. We need to turn around and go the opposite way. And and the nation just says, get out of our way, prophet. You're not speaking truth. And they race headlong to go over the cliff. And he weeps. He weeps over the foolishness of the nation as, as they have taken God's bridge down by idolatry. The protection and the blessing of that bridge that God had given them was a bridge into his presence. And, and they now went after all of these other gods. And, and Jeremiah is trying to turn the nation before it goes off of that cliff. He will prophesy for decades of the coming judgment and... And then ultimately, he's going to be in Jerusalem when the Babylonians come in and destroy it. And they take captive the people and they leave Jeremiah behind with just a, a handful of people. And so the burden upon this young man's life who will spend his entire life trying to warn a nation, it's heading in the wrong direction. I find it hard not to see parallels and similarities as our nation now seems to be heading in the wrong direction. There are two directions towards the true and the living God in a away from the presence of the true and the living God. And whenever we are heading towards the presence of God, the, we are headed into blessings. But when we turn and start to run away from God, we are heading towards disaster. It is true of a person's life. It is true of a nation's life. And so, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord. He begins, now the Lord tells him, I want you to start in Jerusalem. And and once again, Jerusalem is the capital of the nation. Jerusalem is where the the priests are, and the temple, and and the king, and the religious leaders, and the Sanhedrin, and all the powerful people. And the Lord says, Let's start there. And I, if, I'm, if, if I'm Jeremiah, I'm like, can we do like a small little town first, just like a warm-up, you know, and then we'll kind of build up to Jerusalem, you know. You, you, we're starting right here off the start. You're putting me right to smack dab into the, the, the middle of the cauldron here. And, and so he, he says, you're, you're to go to them and you're to say, thus says the Lord. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase and all that devour him will offend and disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. You can hear the heart of God as the nation of Israel is going to be compared to an idolatrous, unfaithful wife. And whenever relationships and marriages have become difficult and estranged, a, a good place to always start is to remind them what it was like back in the, in the beginning. Sometimes as relationships sort of break down and, and start to get very hard, it can get to a place where, where you can say, tell me one thing that you like about that person now, and they're like, I can't think of one. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to tell you all the things that I don't like about that person, and, and you've got the role, and, and they want to complain. But a good place to start is, tell me about when you guys first met. Tell me about the times when you courted and couldn't wait to see each other again. And, and you got to the point where you couldn't even imagine not being together for forever. Do you remember that? God says, I remember that. I, I, I remember when I, I brought you out of Egypt, you were slaves. And do you remember how happy you were when you were set free when, when I brought you through the wilderness and man I was the cloud over you by day and I, I was that pillar of fire by night and you all camped with your tents facing towards the, the Shekinah presence that was there and every day you woke up and stepped out and, and you worshipped and you were free and and how beautiful it, it was. And, and Israel was holiness to the Lord. You, you had been immersed into all of the false gods of Egypt. They, they were worshipped everywhere. And, and I pulled you out of, of all of that idolatry that was going on in Egypt. And, and now, apart from all of that, it was just holiness to the to the Lord. I had demonstrated my power and my protection by parting that and sea for you and and you walked through it as by dry land and, and you were in awe of me. Do you remember? Do you remember? You were the first fruits. You were the first fruits of that nation now and and anybody that was against you I was against them I was your protector I was your defender in the latter days the nation of israel is going to keep turning to other nations to try and make alliances to to protect themselves from the assyrians and from the babylonians and from the egyptians and and he says do you remember when you didn't run to other nations but that you just came to me i was the one that watched over you i was the one that kept you safe I was the one that delivered. He says, I I remember you. Verse 4, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, have, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? We see here that that God pleads now with the nation and says, what did I lack? What did you lack? In what way didn't I provide for you? In what way didn't I take care of you? Why, why did you find it necessary to, to now need more than, than what I had given you? Show me my deficiency or, or in any way that I was not a good husband to, uh, to you. In verse 6, neither did they say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt who led us through the wilderness, through a, a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I brought you into a bountiful country, To eat its fruit and its goodness, but when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. So, Forgetting that the Lord was the one that had brought them through the desert. Forgetting that God was the one that had blessed them with prosperity. The the people went after the the false gods and, and they defiled their land. Why? Because they forgot the goodness of God. And it made me wonder, do we sometimes forget the goodness of God toward us? Do we sometimes forget to just look at how much God has done for each and every one of us and to just have that heart of gratitude? I think that sometimes I can be guilty of getting consumed with what concerns me right now. And and sometimes I can forget how faithful He has been in my entire life from the minute that I gave Him my life the grace and the mercy, the protection and the goodness that He has bestowed upon me. And and it is God's past, listen to this, it is God's past faithfulness in our lives that demand our present trust in Him. Amen? And when we forget the past goodness, we, we can start to tremble and become anxious in the present circumstances that, that we're in. Uh, because we, I don't think that we ever get that place where we just get no stress and everything is wonderful in our lives. And I can't remember a day where I woke up and said, you know, I don't have a single concern in my entire life. <laughs> I've heard it said that you're either coming out of a trial or you're heading into one, but that there's only two directions that we end up going here. And, you know, we're going to have these tribulations, but what makes us an iron pillar is God's demonstrated past faithfulness in our lives. And that's what solidifies our present tense faith and trust. That he'll see us through whatever is today's challenge. He will see us through whatever is today's challenge. Say that with me. He will see us through whatever is today's challenge. He is faithful. He is faithful. And so this nation that has not been faithful to him, he reminds them of his own fidelity to them and his own love toward them. In verse 8, the priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handled the law and did not know me, the rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. We see here that Jeremiah is told to speak to these three groups of leaders the priests, the rulers, and the prophets. And so to the mm, priests, we see that they were to instruct the people in the ways of God, but they did not know God. They didn't have a relationship with them. You see, being a priest became an occupation instead of a passion and a calling and a privilege. It was a occupation a way of making a living and it was respected and so you had a good life but they were functioning without the awareness of relationship with with god it all became routine it all became just um, book knowledge of when you go to the temple we have to stack the wood here and we light the altars here and we have the people come over here and and after a while it just became rote and they were just professional priests instead of servants of the Lord instead of servants of the Lord the rulers, the shepherds the political and civil leaders appointed to to guide and protect the nation, we see that early on it was by judges that were called by God, but later on they cast off the judges and they wanted kings to be like all the other nations and and we see that 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 ended up that wicked kings sat upon the throne and instead of God-inspired, God-fearing, God-loving leaders. They they had wicked rulers. Rulers that transgressed against me. And the prophets, they're they're the ones that are supposed to lead the nations. The priests, the prophets, and the kings we see here. But instead of declaring God's word to the nation. We see they prophesied by Baal and urged the people into following worthless idols. In verse 9, Therefore I will bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring charges. And so we see here now that God, through Jeremiah, is giving them the imagery of a courtroom. And now he is saying that I am going to bring in charges uh, against uh, you. He says in verse 10, For pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and see. Send to Kedar and consider diligently and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. He says, look beyond. Look outside of your borders. Look to the other countries uh, that are around now. All the different countries had their gods, and they would follow their gods, and and they believed that when they came in battle against you, that it was their god against your god, and whoever had the bigger god was going to win, and and so uh, having your gods go before you, that this was an important part. He he says, has a nation ever fired their gods and, and then hired new gods? <laughs> Have you ever seen that in the world? Have you ever seen a nation suddenly now cast off who they've been putting their trust in, who they've been following, and and now suddenly replacing their God? But that's exactly what the nation of Israel did with God. And he's like, Where did I go wrong? When did I fail you? Why would you have traded me, the true and the living God, for the worthless gods that that the other nations have followed? He had showed his might by delivering them out of Egypt. He had protected them and established them when they came into the land. They drove out the Canaanites uh, by the power and the might of God. He had made them a a safe sovereign nation and and underneath David and underneath Solomon the expansion the wisdom of God went forth from the nation of Israel to the world. The queen of Sheba coming from the ends of the earth to come into and hear the wisdom of, of Solomon, and the wealth, and the power, and the influence in the nation of Israel. Why have you dismissed me? Why have you gone after other gods? Has it? It ever happened? I I, I mean, he's saying that this isn't even like something that happens in other nations. He says it's never even happened in any other nation. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, and be very desolate, says the Lord. We see here that that the the response in, in the courtroom is just astonishment. Just, there's nothing to even say. He says in verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so... We see here that that Israel committed two evils. The, The first one was the sin of omission. We see that's the sin now where the nation had forsaken her God. And then the second sin was one of commission. And that was they have gone after false gods. He uses the illustration of water. In a desert, water is very important. Amen? Amen? And so in Israel, they are basically a desert, desert climate in much of the, uh, of the nation. And, and so the collection of water was always important. Now, you had living water. That, that was the stream, the Jordan River. And, and the Jordan River runs uh, right down the middle of the nation of Israel. And, and we see that that's living water. But they would also take and the ground bakes over there to where it's a a crust on it. And when it rains, when you've got a crusted over surface, that water moves uh, in a hurry and, and begins to run all over the place. It doesn't soak into the ground because of how hard the ground is. So what they became very good at, was learning where the water flows and, and, and then starting to redirect it all to a, a focal point. And then what they would do is they would build a huge pit. They would dig a great big pit out. And then they would take and, and they would plaster the inside of this pit and then build staircases all the way down to the bottom of it. And, and then when it rained, uh, the water would flow in and fill up these cisterns there. And, and those cisterns became a, a source of water to them. And he says, you've traded living water now living water fresh moving uh, water that that is glorious uh, water and and that is the best quality of water that you can have that living moving water now when the water came into the cisterns they, it would then sit there and over time it it would become let's say less fresh <laughs> And so the, the cistern water, compared to a, a glass of, uh, of living water, no comparison whatsoever. But then the other problem that you have with the cisterns is if that plaster cracks. And then what starts to happen is, is the, the water all starts to leach out of the cistern, and you lose all of the, the water that, that you used to have. A cracked broken cistern <laughs> that's not a very good water supply <laughs> you have that or living water and you traded living water for cracked broken cistern water he says you traded gold copper you took the abundance that I gave you and you threw it away and you embraced the less than and we see the heart of God here is as through Jeremiah he calls to the nation to open up your eyes look around see what you have done and so two evils. You have departed from me. And just, if you had just departed, that would just be bad enough. But then you departed from me and you embraced all of these other idols at the same time. Is Israel a servant? Verse 14. Is he a home-born slave? Why is he plundered? The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitants, and also the people of Noth and, and Taphanes have broken the crown of your head. We see here that Judah's apostasy brought repercussions. Her land was laid waste by foreign invaders that came in, comparing to them to lions. And in the reference uh, here to Taphanes and, and Noph, these are Egyptian cities. And, and in both instances, uh, Egypt triumphed over Judah and shaved the crown of Judah's head. Have you not brought this on yourself? And that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way. And now, why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? Or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Your own wickedness will correct you and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. I want you to imagine young Jeremiah, this is the first message that he has to go and deliver to Jerusalem, this message right here. You know how sometimes you start off, we got good news and bad news. Jeremiah had to start off. I got bad news and bad news. <laughs> and and there, there isn't really any good news uh, here whatsoever, as, as now we see him pleading the case of God to, to the nation. You have forsaken the Lord your God, he says. And so, you've left to drink the waters of Sihor. Sihor is a. Uh, a branch of the Nile River. So no alliance with Egypt is going to protect the nation of Israel. Going and drinking of her water, going and seeking protection from in Egypt. And, and the other river, that's the river of Assyria. And Assyria isn't going to help you. There's, there's no help there. For of old I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress when on every high hill and under every green tree you lay down playing the harlot. And so here we see that Judah's spiritual apostasy is now likened to her spiritual adultery. And and so we see that Jeremiah is going to mm, picture her as this wanton woman with insatiable lust for false gods. And so Jeremiah is going to paint four pictures now to describe the wayward state of the nation. The first picture was an animal that had broken its yoke. Judah had broken off her yoke that had bound her to the Lord and then once free, chased after the gods of her heathen neighbors. You remember how mm, Jesus said, "Take my yoke upon you, and uh, my burden is light," and and He invites us to be yoked mm, together with mm, with Him. How beautiful that that picture is, and when I. Pair of oxes are being fitted together, and there was a young ox that would always be paired with a, a very sturdy, strong, experienced ox, and and so the yoke would be put upon them, and and that strong, sturdy ox it knew how to plow and to go where the driver was driving the ox, and and the other ox it, it didn't know what it was doing and where it was going, and it just kind of followed along kind of chasing along after that, that lead ox until finally over time it began to, to learn to walk in rhythm to work together to get adjusted and, and fitted to the, to the yoke but in the beginning that, that strong lead ox did all of the work when Jesus invites you to be yoked together with him and your salvation experience. He says, come, take my yoke. My yoke is easy, and the burden, it'll be light for you. I'll drive this thing. You just walk beside me. You just learn to just get into rhythm and, and just learn how to walk with me. Here we see that Jeremiah says that You're like an ox that cast off its yoke and and now is running off and chasing after all of the, the false gods. He goes on, Yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? The second picture is that a choice vine the, the heritage of vines and if you know anything about vineyards and grapes you you know how precious it is that that vine come from good stock and then they will build whole vineyards off of particular vines that have been brought in from someplace else and and god says do you know what when, when i brought you you came from the best Vine that there was uh, in the world and i planted you and watched over you and and i dug the trenches and and trimmed you and i i brought you up into this glorious vineyard world-class vineyard and now look at the shape of the vineyard it's the alien vines Uh, Disgusting fruit, nothing worth the while. You're, you're not able to do anything with the, the grapes that are coming out of these uh, vines. What happened? How did we get here from, where we were in the glory of, the land that flowed with milk and honey that I brought you into. In verse twenty-two. For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord. The third picture that he gives them now is is someone with a stain that can't be washed off. And they take lye. Lye is a mineral that's used to and cleanse stains and soap and and though you grind and wash, you cannot wash away your sin. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But what were they doing? They were trying to make themselves righteous. They were trying to justify their going after the other gods. And and they were trying to now cleanse themselves. In verse 23, how can you say I'm not polluted? I have not gone after the bales. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary, breaking loose in her ways, a wild donkey, used to the wilderness, that sniffs at the wind in her desire, in her time of mating. And who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her month, they will find her. Withhold your foot from being unshod, and your throat from thirst. But you said there is no hope. No. For I have loved aliens, and after them I will go. He compares them to a wild donkey that, that now sniffs the, the air and, and smells a, a female that is in heat. And, and that male donkey will do whatever it takes to get to that female donkey. And, and he says, it's with that zeal that you have departed uh, from me. As, a thief, as the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets saying to a tree, you are my father. The kings and the priests and the prophets of the nation of Israel are looking at a tree and saying, you're my God. You're my You're my father. And to a stone. You gave birth to me. That stone gave birth to the nation of Israel. That stone and that tree brought you out of Egypt. That stone and that tree and that idol defeated the Pharaoh and his armies and and planted you in this land. God's saying, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? When... Things get so turned around. How did you get here? How did you get to the place where life is not valued in your culture? How did you get to the place where destroying babies in the womb is a right, is a privilege? How did you get so far away from valuing each and every single person because we're made in the image and likeness uh, of God? When did the Ten Commandments become dangerous to the upbringing of children that they needed to be removed off of the walls of the schools? How did you get so lost, one nation, under God, indivisible? It is no surprise that when a nation is not under God, that it is going to be divided. And as we move away from God, is it any surprise that, that we are seeing the divisions crack forth in, in our nation? Saying to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone you gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, "Arise and save us." God says, "I want to talk to you," and He says, "Do you know what?" They turn their back. You ever try and talk to someone, they just turn their back. It's like I'm I'm trying to talk to, you. and it's like, no, want no part of it. And God says, "You, as a nation, you you." You've given me your back. I'm trying to talk to your face, and you turn your back. And then he says, but when you need help, when the towers fall down, you'll fill the churches. You'll cry out for help. You'll repent. And then the churches will slowly end when the threat is gone and peace and safety is declared once again. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise. If they can save you in the time of your trouble, for according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Here we see that the idolatry had gotten to to the extent that they had so many false gods, that they had as many false gods as they had number of cities in the land. Why will you plead with me? You have transgressed against me, says the Lord. In vain I have chastened your children. They received no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. He says, I've sent you prophets, and do you know what you've done with my prophets that tried to call you to repentance? You annihilated them. You took the sword and and killed them. the sword of political correctness that the culture wields against every single person that will stand up upon the truth of God's Word. He says, I send you voices, and you mow down the voices. You won't listen like a destroying lion. Oh, generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Why do my people say we are lords? We will come no more to you. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride, her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? Therefore, you have also taught the wicked women your ways. And also on your skirts is found the blood of lives of poor innocents. I have not found it by secret and search, but plainly on all these things. Yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger will turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you because you say, I have not sinned. The nation says, no, we're still worshiping. See, we've got the temple and we still come bring sacrifices to you, and we've got the Feast of Tabernacles, and Passover, and Pentecost, and, and see, we're, we're, we're good. Why do you gad about so much to change your way? And also you shall be ashamed of Egypt, as you were ashamed of Assyria. And indeed you will go forth and from him with your hands on your head, For the Lord has rejected your trusted allies and you will not prosper by them. Jeremiah is going to call the nation at the end of this to repentance. To repent. God sees. God knows. Don't fool yourself. Do you remember when when you were just a youth and you loved me? And it was holiness to the Lord. May the Lord bring us back to that sweetness, to that devotion, to that excitement, to that intimacy. I want to invite the ushers to stay right where they are. And I want to invite the worship team, <laughs> they're the ones that I'm looking for, <laughs> to come on up uh, uh, here and, and we're going to move into in communion service here and, and as the elements have already been passed out and as you take and prepare them now, I want to invite you to just uh, spend a moment of uh, reflection. and to just that we would examine our, our own hearts and our own lives as, as God has taken here in this passage in Jeremiah and, and he has laid forth the, his case. And, and may the Lord speak to each and every one of us, God, is there any way in which we are not Loving you the way that we once did. Is there any mm, passion that is uh, missing in mm, our lives? And is there any change that that you want us to make? God, we, we want to be pleasing mm, to you. Jesus... Set that example of of absolute total and complete surrender to to the will of God in his life to keeping himself and and not submitting or surrendering to anything other than God's perfect will in his life and, and so as we come and just spend time before the Lord right now we we ask God that you would meet us and minister to each and every one of us so Father bless us forgive us Lord for any way in, (coughs) in which we have thrown off the yoke, run after our own interests, exalted ourselves, chased after the things of the world. And Lord, would you cleanse us and wash us and forgive us this night, Lord? Would you help us to be faithful husbands, faithful wives? nurturing parents honoring children Lord meet us help us forgive us and as they were eating bread Jesus took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body let's partake of the body of Christ. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake of the cup. And now washed and cleansed, may we just... Go before the Lord in just a spirit of thanksgiving and gratefulness for the goodness of our great God.
1: Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested in my life began was redeemed, only beauty remains My orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested and my life began Oh,
2: your grace is so free watches over me you have made me new now life begins with you it's your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new now life begins with
1: Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was to he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend.
2: When death was arrested, and my life began.
1: Criminals cross, darkness rejoices. O heaven and dust,
2: but then Jesus arose without.
0: Jesus for forgiving us and washing us and cleansing us and rescuing us and, and saving us uh, from our sins. And and so, how delightful it is to come to the communion table to celebrate that freedom that was purchased and in the shed blood of our Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We ask, God, that you would just continue to Lord, ignite a passion for you, Lord, that you would just create a zeal in our heart for the things of, of you, Lord. And Father, that you would continue to, by your Spirit and through your Word, transform us into the image and likeness of Christ. May the fragrance of Christ be thick upon us, uh, Lord. And Father, when people see us, may they see less and less of us, Jesus and more and more of you. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen.